This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Thursday afternoon, February 22nd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. It's been a tough morning for cell phone users with AT&T service uh, due to network outages. We'll have an update on the situation in our next segment. But right now, White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf has sat down with Cranes to discuss his plans for a new ballpark in the South Loop. Let's talk to the man with the access, Greg Hines columnist for Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thank you for joining us today. And uh, essentially, his argument is uh, guaranteed rate field is an impediment when it comes to uh, competing in the economic landscape of modern baseball, and they can uh, solve that problem by moving to the South Loop. And he also hinted that uh, the next owner of the White Sox may be inclined to move the city, the team out of the city. Yeah, he said all of those. Uh, uh, he clearly needs a little bit of leverage because he's got his hand out in a big way. Uh, he's trying to get uh, approval for up to $2 billion in public financing. But, uh, um, uh, yes, he's saying that uh, guaranteed rate field is in, an, is in uh, a quiet residential neighborhood. There's not a lot of ancillary development around it. Uh, it's not the kind of vibrant uh, hub that uh, ballparks tend to be built in now or tend to develop right around regular field. Therefore, his attendance isn't as good as it ought to be. Doesn't have, so he can't, doesn't have the money, he says, to go out and uh, and, and compete for expensive free agents that uh, determine much of baseball's uh, fate these days. Um, so, it, so it doesn't work. The, uh, the the thing with selling the team is, he says, uh, you know, I'm not going to move the team out of Chicago. I'm in Chicago. I want to keep it there. But, but you know, I'm about to be... 88. Uh, when I die, uh, my heirs and they're going to have to take a look at uh, what's the fiduciary proper thing to do, and that probably means putting it up for sale. And golly gee, the big money is out of town. But if you give me my stadium, uh, now I'll sign a long-term lease, so that won't happen. Now, the, all of these lever. This is a negotiating position. Obviously, you look at uh, the subsidies for other stadia, football, baseball, otherwise. Uh, Two billion dollars uh, for a White Sox stadium in the South Loop would be far and away exceed all of the other uh, public funding for stadium projects uh, all across the country. And is he aware of that? And does he expect to get uh, that level of funding, or is he willing to? negotiate that number down, or is he even willing to put some of his own money into the project? Uh, all of those are really good questions, and I can't answer them. Uh, all I can say is what, he, is what he wants at this point. So we have his ask, and I assume you're right, that it's a, that it's a, it's a bargaining position. Uh, he would also say that the, that, uh, he, the public is really only pointing in a billion two because that other eight hundred million is for infrastructure work, is is uh, regards to a TIF uh, district on the uh, South Loop that has already been approved and it's going to happen anyhow. <clears throat> but uh, there's no question this is all about green. Uh, and Jerry Reinstorf, if you look at history, is pretty good at getting green. Whether he can get this much, I don't know. 
Now, on the other hand, talking about the uh, the, the various issues uh, with uh, Guaranteed Rate Field, formerly New Comiskey Park, uh, did he give any indication that uh, a lot of those uh, competitive issues he was talking about, uh, not being in a, in a thriving neighborhood, in a quiet residential neighborhood, were in a way self-inflicted? Uh, he wanted a ballpark in 1988 that was surrounded by parking lots? I mean, he it sounds like to, to someone who is a cynic, uh, you might say that Reinsdorf is asking the state to pay to uh, rectify mistakes that he made 30 years ago? I think that is a very fair question. Uh, um, uh, I w- didn't push him on some stuff as part of this interview. I, I kind of wanted to give him, since he, had, he rarely gives interviews, I wanted to give him kind of an open mic of sorts and say, all right, what do you want, Jerry, and what's your basis? But it's a, it's a fair question. Um, uh, uh uh, I suspect his answer would be that, hey, yeah, I made a mistake. We built the wrong kind of stadium, but the fact is it doesn't work, uh, and we need to do something better. And, then and very, if you want to save the White Sox for Chicago, you're going to have to do something better. And very quickly, Greg, uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson has already uh, indicated he is uh, open to the idea of some sort of Chicago subsidy for a White, a White Sox stadium or a Bears stadium. And is that the opening that uh, Jerry Reinsdorf needs to try to uh, get Springfield to roll over the hotel tax from the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority? It is uh, certainly an opening. Whether it's enough, I don't know. But the fact that uh, that uh, for the most part, uh, he and the Bears seem to be talking about rolling over existing taxes rather than new ones uh, is significant. Uh, on the other hand, part of his proposal calls for some different use of existing sales tax money. That would effectively be a new tax. Uh, so we're going to have to find out. But uh, either way, it's going to be a big fight, and there's going to be a lot of politicians that are going to have to make some tough choices. Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us today. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There have been cell phone service disruptions for AT&T customers around the country today, though the problem appears to be easing. Let's talk about the outages and the potential for future issues with Jerry Irvine, CIO of Prescient Solutions and member of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force in Chicago. Jerry, thank you for joining us once again today. Uh, Based on some reports, the uh, outages appear to be restored for AT&T customers in some parts of the country, but does this expose a key vulnerability in the cell phone network uh, for for customers of all carriers? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, if you go out on DownDetect and the other uh, sites out there right now, it's still showing as many as 20 to 30,000 people being affected on AT&T. And actually, if if you look at T-Mobile and and some of the other carriers, you know, they have probably 20% of that uh, uh, still showing as problems as well. So again, this, the issue it has to have been some type of software, firmware, or controlling application that was affecting their environment. And because all of these carriers uh, have some type of connectivity to each other for redundancy, when any of them has any type of, of issue, it potentially can affect them as well. And that's what appears to have happened. Now, there was some uh, discussion uh, on social media and elsewhere that uh, solar activity may be possibly be responsible for this outage. Do we have any uh, definitive answer as to a cause just yet? No, there, there's nothing. And, and solar activity uh, 
really would not have affected uh, the internet access or the the Wi-Fi access. It's just not the the same type of frequency issues and stuff that are occurring. But but if you look at the amount of issues that were occurring uh, in other uh, arenas, the financial arena. If you look out at uh, the the data on Chase and and uh, Wells Fargo and other ones, they had substantially more complaints during the same hours of 3 a.m. until now, uh, you know, of the same outages of AT&T. Not, not of the same amount, but a higher frequency than they normally do. So there was some disruption across the, the board, uh, most likely as a result of AT&T being the largest provider. But, you know, in general, this did have a, a cascading effect across the entire uh, industry. Outside of exposing uh, a, a, a technical vulnerability in our cell phone network, the fact that AT&T went down this morning, uh, what does that mean about our ability to respond to or report an emergency? Because if you're an AT&T customer and you had to call 911, uh, unless you had Wi-Fi access, you were unable to do so. And there were even some uh, situations where even with Wi-Fi access, they were unable to do it because the PSAPs, uh, public safety access points, were actually down. So it, it did have a lot of, of uh, issues with our public safety uh, management. So there are a lot of concerns. And, and actually, if you look at reports, there have been some reports in California specifically where AT&T's connectivity to the PSAPs has been under FCC guidelines. So there, there are a lot of issues that this is going to bring up to everybody's point, uh, and uh, there's, they're going to have some explaining to do. Jerry Irvine, CIO, Prescient Solutions, member of the U.S. Secret Service Electronic Crimes Task Force in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for your insights on the AT&T outage. Coming up, tracking a surge in AI and semiconductor stocks. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. We're seeing a jump in share prices for some stocks in the artificial intelligence and semiconductor spaces. We're joined by Matt Shapiro, President MWS Capital in Chicago. Matt, thank you for joining us today. And for that, we can thank NVIDIA, which reported yesterday after the bell. And you know you're an important stock, Matt, when there is a level of anticipation leading up to your earnings report that is similar to a Fed decision or maybe an employment report. NVIDIA is that big of a deal. What made it a blowout number yesterday? Uh, well, they just blew away the the, the estimates. Uh, expected 20 billion in revenue. They came in 22 billion, uh, far higher, and they're forecasting revenue for the next couple quarters as as high as 24 billion. And you know, those are always presumably safe assumptions. So analysts are upgrading it. And yes. It was kind of like the Super Bowl, actually, for stocks. The stock was extremely volatile beforehand. Uh, a lot of this had been sort of sensed in the market. Stock had been as high as 740, plummeted down to 668 yesterday, and then the blowout numbers. You know, these kind of stock charts, I remember as a kid when we didn't even have computers and I would look at the almanac of spikes of silver or whatever. This is something we're living through today. And, you know, obviously 
a great thing for investors with this AI boom and NVIDIA. Well, not to toot our own horn, but uh, if you listen to Stock Picker Monday on Monday, uh, NVIDIA was one of the selections. And if you bought the stock on Tuesday morning uh, when trading opened, you would have had a 15% return today. So it, when you look at those types of numbers and that type of return in such a short amount of time, uh, does it raise any red flags with you? Is this sustainable? Well, it speaks to the sort of there is this issue with these super companies being so good, so big, so dominating, law of large numbers. So if you do the forecast, I guess it's trading at a PE of somewhere around 25, which isn't that high. But now we're getting towards a two trillion dollar company. And, you know, when there are these big profit spikes in any kind of stock, let's say there's a commodity spike and a steel stock or aluminum stock goes up, the, the market tends to start to derate it once it sort of sense, senses a plateau. So that is the one cautionary thing. Uh, we certainly own the stock. We're trimming about 12 percent today. Uh, with it, you know, we've certainly trimmed it as it's it, it rose. Uh, it is one of our top ten holdings, but you know, you have to be, you know, um, pragmatic about it's not going to go on forever with every stock all the time. And it's certainly in the right place at the right time. It makes the chips that underpin artificial intelligence at the time an AI revolution is underway in all aspects of life. But eventually, the other players in the AI space will say, well, how can we get in on their action? And clearly, there's going to be some competition, and that's going to create some challenges for NVIDIA going forward. That will happen. So they have this honeymoon period. Um, you know, they have a big lead, but they have gross margins of up to 63% on these massive numbers. So, yes, people are going to come in. You know, remember, all the stuff is manufactured by Taiwan Semiconductor. Let's say there's some geopolitical stuff. A lot of stuff can happen. So um, we would like to think any more follow through, any more technical spike, you know, continue to uh, keep your discipline and trim a little back. Matt Shapiro, President, MWS Capital in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today to talk about the uh, latest earnings report from NVIDIA. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, the AI chatbot is morphing as we speak. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Residents of Illinois could be getting a bit of a break with their grocery bill. A court decision in a southern state involves a dress code and hairstyle. Technology Thursday, developers are making more specialized chatbots focusing on specific industries. Successful planning for retirement should involve a multifaceted look at wants, needs, and the level of financial worry. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 383 points. The NASDAQ is up 420. And the S&P 500 is up 96, 48 degrees right now along the lakefront at 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Now that a pandemic pause has ended, Governor Pritzker wants the state sales tax on groceries to disappear permanently. The details from WBBM's Nancy Hardy. The governor's proposal was well received by Republicans and fellow Democrats in his budget address to the legislature in Springfield. Even though inflation continues to cool off, folks are still feeling the squeeze every week at the grocery store. So there's one more thing that we ought to do. For the good of our state's working families, let's permanently eliminate the grocery tax. 
The state suspended the sales tax from the summer of 2022 to last summer, saving residents an estimated $360 million as inflation raged on. Now Governor Pritzker is calling it a regressive tax and is asking lawmakers to approve his plan to scrap it. Of the roughly dozen states that impose a tax on groceries, Illinois 1% is the lowest. Nancy Hardy, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. A judge has ruled that a Texas high school is not violating the law by punishing a black teenager over the length of his dreadlocks. The decision by State District Judge Chap Kane III says the Barbers Hill Independent School District's dress and grooming policies do not violate the Crown Act. That legislation prohibits race-based hair discrimination at work, school, and in housing facilities. Many of those in the courtroom sighed or gasped when the ruling was announced. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are in positive territory today. We welcome in Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the website UpsideStocks.com based in Hammond. Chuck, thank you for joining us today. A lot of this rally is driven by NVIDIA. We talked about that in our previous segment. And really, Chuck, uh, the superlatives just keep on rolling uh, for NVIDIA's stock performance. Uh, Just saw one piece of analysis that just came across the transom that said uh, NVIDIA's market cap today exceeds the uh, economic output of Canada. So <laughs> that's what we're talking about today. But uh, when, when, you, when you talk about a strictly all-star performance here from one particular stock, what does that mean for the stock market overall? Uh, is this, are we still in a situation where just a small number are powering all the gains? You know, NVIDIA's response is kind of a continuing affirmation of the importance of AI. But, you know, what is probably even more interesting to me today is that you're seeing, you know, other sectors, including some of those that have been lagging, doing well. For example, small cap stocks is represented by the Russell 2000 index is up almost 1%. You've got the Dow Jones Transportation Average, which may be the most economically sensitive index there is in the world, is up over 1%. And you see, you know, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, um, which is hardly, you know, tech-focused, is up over 1%. So, you know, that broadening is, is, is good to see. Yes, it's nice to see, you know, the NASDAQ and the tech stocks doing well, but, you know, for, for the vitality and sustainability of market rallies, you need other areas, and it's nice to see the, the small caps industrials, uh, transportation stocks doing well uh, today as well. The other big news to come out of the week is that uh, the Dow is going to uh, kind of a shuffling of the order in the Dow, and that is the uh, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Uh, they got the boot uh, from the Dow, and uh, Amazon has been uh, welcomed into the ranks of the blue chips. And, and what does that mean? Well, you know, it, part of it was uh, structurally because what's happening, Walmart, which is a Dow stock, is splitting its stock three for one. And I think that goes into effect at the beginning of next week. So the Dow is a price weighted index, meaning higher price stocks in the Dow carry greater weight. So Walmart is ineffectively cutting its weight in the Dow by by three um, because of the three for, uh, three for one stock split. So, you know, it was uh, not unusual that the Dow in, in an attempt to kind of reboot or reboost, I should say, the retail exposure went with a stock like Amazon to kind of, you know, build the retail exposure back up. And also Amazon has a healthcare aspect to it, which makes it a, a logical replacement for Walgreens. You know, from a Walgreens perspective, you know, this obviously doesn't look great. Um, you know, first the company cuts its dividend and now they're getting booted from the from the Dow. But if you look at it from a contrarian standpoint, 
you know, the things, you know, it, it'd be hard to see things getting worse for Walgreens. Nobody likes the stock. They cut their dividend. They get booted by the Dow. And oftentimes that can represent kind of a low or a near low point for a stock. And you see it with the stock Walgreens replaced in 2018 was GE. Um, and after GE got tossed from the Dow, all GE did, GE did was go on a massive run over the last three or four years. So, you know, maybe better times ahead for Walgreens here as it's kind of hopefully kind of bottoming out here. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the website UpsideStocks.com in Hammond. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, creating a custom AI chatbot. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday and the dizzying evolution of the artificial intelligence-powered chatbot continues. They're becoming more and more specific in their tasks. Let's talk about the progress with Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economic futurist at andrewbush.com, based in Chicago. Andy, thank you for joining us today. And this is inevitable. Once you have the basic framework for an AI chatbot uh, that you can use through an open application like OpenAI, eventually the people who play around with the most will develop some knowledge and uh, come up with some more industry-specific applications for these chatbots uh, that can be specific for your office and your specific function. Yeah, I mean, this is the exciting concept and, and uh, construct of what's going on with OpenAI. Um, it is the best way to liken this. It's, it's like the App Store with an iPhone. Um, that's what this is building towards. So people are using the underlying structure of OpenAI and the LLM or the AI that's involved with it, and they're creating more specific uh, GPTs for your, you know, a specific industry, or you can create your own GPT for, let's say, a workout that you want to do, a workout schedule that you want to do. It's amazing what you can do with this technology, and we're just at the cusp of this. So it doesn't surprise me that NVIDIA is like crushing it with orders for those chips because this truly is a new section of the economy, and it's going to change so much rapidly. I mean, this reminds me of when my dad would come home from work in the 80s and he would have this uh, this this uh, portable compact computer that was about the size of a suitcase. And you would have various, uh, like Lotus Notes, uh, that was one of the uh, uh, early spreadsheet applications. But even then, a lot of the office functions were, uh, were still done uh, with pen and paper and you had dot matrix printers. And now everything operates uh, off of of a computer or off of the cloud, uh, there's very little paperwork involved, and it seems like a similar type of evolution will be happening in the AI space. Well, it's all, yes, it's already there. And a thing about chatbots, and I just want to get back to this, is that these are truly virtual assistants. They're they're not like the early chatbots, which were clumsy and like Clio with Microsoft. That was kind of a disaster. These are really sophisticated um, tools, whether it's to use in sales. Um, across every industry, whether it's to use in finance or even in insurance. I mean, these are productivity enhancers, and you can design them yourselves by applying the information that you want to go into it so that it will draw from the very specific information that you provide, whether it's a spreadsheet, whether it's your own research, whether it's the way that you're interacting with your clients. This is basically the ability to create a digital twin of yourself or your, you know, company to some extent, 
with these with these bots. Um, and that's what's really, to me, that's what's fascinating. And it enhances the user experience or the UX significantly because it can quickly answer questions and it never gets tired. Obviously, that's the kind of core behind it, the concept behind it with the, uh, the, the data being analyzed and also being more uh, specific and, and really reactive to what clients are telling you or asking you about. So you can design them in a lot of different ways. But I think that's what's just so exciting about this stuff and what's happening. Are there any potential legal issues? And I'm just asking, let's say you do create this uh, this chat bot that is for your specific business or for your specific function. At what point can it be considered proprietary technology? I mean, if you want to sell this to somebody else in your space, can you do so? Yeah, definitely. They already have that capability on uh, OpenAI already. Um, and the, the big, there's two big questions when it comes to this stuff. One is security concerns. Like, you know, data security is really important for businesses. And, and that's one area that you have to worry about. Obviously, you have to program these things so they don't give, like, racist answers or do things like redlining when it comes to um, providing, you know, home data or, you know, insurance or not insurance um, when it comes to providing an application or at somebody trying to get a loan, right? That's what you really want to stay away from. So there's a lot of work involved with it for sure. Um, but I think that's the key is, is ensuring that you have the right encryption and secure data storage uh, to this. And that's when, like, when you see Microsoft or Google or AWS attacked in the cloud, that's what these hackers are trying to attempt to do. They're trying to break into that. But these are some of the bigger questions that you're going to have to work on uh, within your firm to make sure that your data is secure. Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, economic futurist at andrewbush.com in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Retirement readiness varies by individuals. That's why most people should consider a tailored approach when planning life after their career. Joining us to explain is Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thank you for joining us today. And the decision to retire may be one of the most difficult decisions you are going to make, because I'm sure you have seen it, I have seen it as well. Uh, when people approach retirement age, they think about it, they talk about it, but when they get up to the water's edge, it takes them a very long time to take that next step. You're absolutely right about that. And even more difficult is knowing what they want, even if they do retire. And it turns out that it's one of the most difficult decisions as well is that you think you know what will make you happy in retirement, but rarely do people actually know themselves. And I think there's a good analogy here with psychotherapy, and which is why I often recommend I'm perhaps old fashioned, but I like uh, to work with a financial planner in person rather than with one of these robo uh, robo advisors that's all algorithmic and AI based. I just don't think that that's going to be able to help any of us tease out these really complex questions. And if if you're not quite there yet, if you're thinking about it, but you're just not, you can't visualize your life on the other side because you, we all define ourselves by the work we've done uh, over, over the decades. And then trying to define yourself as something else is a very difficult decision to make. Uh, is there a way that you can ease into that process? I think that's exactly the question we should be asking. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And in fact, 
we probably need to be thinking of it anyway, just for purely financial reasons, which is that uh, most of us probably don't have enough money saved to uh, to provide the kind of retirement that we think that we want and live comfortably. And so we probably need to think about providing at least some supplemental income uh, going forward. So the question really isn't whether you're going to go all work or all retirement, but rather how can you try to do it in stair steps? And there are a lot of jobs that uh, I think would allow for that kind of uh, part-time work. So you don't have the pressure of getting up every day at the same hour and so forth. But nonetheless, you still are in the game and uh, you're providing some income. And, and I was going to say, chances are, if if you are really worried about your retirement, uh, whether or not you have enough, you're probably pretty proactive to begin with. So you're not you're not going to hang up the gone fishing sign permanently uh, after you leave your full time job. I think that's exactly right. And again, these are such difficult questions to know because. In fact, in one of my columns recently on the subject, I quote research that most people just don't even have a clue about what's going to make them happy. And uh, and rarely does more money provide that, that key to, to happiness. I don't want to try to make a claim that money doesn't help. But on the other hand, more money rarely produces the kind of happiness outcome that we want. So we probably are often focusing on the wrong things anyway when we are trying to plan for our retirement. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com in Washington. Thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.